And if you're going to stay with us here, let's get the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1. We began last week studying Habakkuk. <clears throat> Habakkuk, chapter 1, and we finished down through verse number 5. We're going to pick that up again in verse 5 just to get a little context. Habakkuk 1 and verse number 5. <clears throat> in the... Sorry... In the beginning of the chapter, what we saw is that Habakkuk has some questions for the Lord. Why are you allowing all of these evils and these injustices to take place within our nation and seemingly God's doing nothing about it? Why, God? Why let this happen? Uh, corruption was abounding. Sin was abounding. It, it, it didn't matter if it was a spiritual thing, a political thing. Everything in society was falling apart. And in verse 5, God begins to answer him. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. He says somebody will sit down and say, this is how it's happening. This is what's being threatened. This is what's been done. And the average man will say, how can that be? We've never heard of anything like this, especially among God's people. Hold your place here. Come to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Paul the apostle quotes this verse while preaching in a synagogue. He's preaching Christ to these people. This is a completely different context, but it's the same principle. What we're reading about in Habakkuk is the destruction of Judah and how the Babylonians, or another name for them, are the Chaldeans, how they are going to be used of God to bring about this horrible destruction. Now fast forward about 600, almost 700 years. It's Israel being attacked by the Romans. But it's Israel being punished for the rejection of God's son. In, in the book of Habakkuk, it is Judah being punished for their rejection of God's law and God's prophets. So it's the same sort of principle, but it is two different events in history. So Paul has preached the Lord Jesus uh, crucified, buried, risen again. He tells them how to believe. You can see in verse number 39, by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore. So he, th then he comes with a warning. He's explained to them that Christ is the Messiah. You can be saved by believing in him. Verse 40, beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So the, the pending doom for them are, is the Romans coming to destroy Jerusalem. Jesus mentioned this, that one stone would not be left upon another. Now, for God's people to think that God would allow some Gentile nation, some bitter, hasty, horrible group of people to come in and trample the people of God like this. That was a, a, a breathtaking thought. Why would God allow this to happen to His own people? When His own people despise His Word year after year, prophet after prophet, and eventually His own Son. You remember that parable Jesus gave? 
where there's a, the, the Lord of the vineyard goes away and he lends the vineyard out to the workers and then the, the workers come and they, they want to gather fruit and they kill one servant. They kill the next servant. And then here comes the son. They say, surely he'll reverence, they'll reverence the son. And then they take the son out and say, he's the son, let's kill him and seize the inheritance. That's what we're reading about. And the Israelites did not think that God would go through with this punishment. God says, you'd be amazed what I'll go through with. You'd be shocked at just how far God will go to bring about necessary judgment. It's not that God is overreacting out of anger. God has patiently waited for the people to repent. And if they won't repent, he says, guys, I've given long-suffering a chance. I've given mercy a chance, and now it's time to drop the hammer. Now, lest you think this is just a historical lesson or some lesson on future politics, because this does play into what's going on today, as I'm going to explain later. However, this is also true personally. You, you can only ride the mercy of God so far. You keep despising His word and think, well, I'm one of God's people. You know, I was raised as a Christian. I go to church whenever I get a chance. And, you know, I'm okay with the Bible. Don't read it, but I don't have a problem with it. Oh, God, God would never do that to me. Is it? Is it? You might be shocked. Might be shocked. You push God too far. You provoke him to jealousy, and you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Let's come back to Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 6. Now he's going to explain his plan to Habakkuk in part. Habakkuk saying, God, what are you going to do about all this injustice? He says, This is what I'm going to do. Verse 6 For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Which are, he says, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. So let's talk about these Chaldeans for a moment. In the Bible, many times the word Chaldean is a synonym for a Babylonian. It's pretty much one and the same people. The Chaldeans were a, a small group of nomadic people that eventually settled in southeast Babylonia, and they kind of, the, the two groups kind of blended together. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean. You might be familiar with that name because he's the king that led the charge into Jerusalem and into Judah to, to lead them into captivity. He was the head of all of this destruction we're reading about here. So he himself was a Chaldean. Now it says for a description of them, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. If you want to understand that a little differently, they had an attitude problem. This people had, right, if you have an, an individual you're dealing with and they are bitter and hasty. Hasty is they are swift to speak, swift to wrath, and slow to listen. It's the exact opposite of what you should be, right? We should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The Chaldeans were the other way. They just came in ready, fire, aim. <laughs> If any aim, they, they just wanted to blow something up. They were bitter. That is, when they got angry, they held on to that anger. They would, they would not forget what you did 50, 60, 100 years ago. Hey, remember what your people did to my people uh, 300 years ago? I'm here to get you back for that. Bitter and hasty. Can you think if that maybe happens in South Africa at all, that people hang on to grudges, things that happen? Your, your ancestors did this to my ancestors. Bless God, I'm here to get you back. Bitter and hasty. But let's sit down and talk. I'm done talking. You never started. I'm done talking. <laughs> Bitter and hasty. God says, that's the kind of guy I'm going to raise up and use. 
because why would God raise up a, a, a Chaldean with an attitude problem? Because God sent countless prophets that didn't have an attitude problem, that were very gentle and said, listen, please repent. What you're doing is displeasing to God. Get the thing right. And they kept killing them and sending them off and persecuting them and mocking them, laughing at them. He says, all right, well, if you don't want to listen to that, I'll bring somebody that you can't avoid. Bitter and hasty. So he says, I'll raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places, plural, that are not theirs. So before Nebuchadnezzar, before the Babylonians ever got to Israel, they had already conquered Assyria. Now, forgive me, I don't have a map. I'll, I'll trust you to look at the map if you want to know where these places are. Uh, in the ancient world, these were the big places. They conquered Assyria, which was to the north of Babylon. Then they conquered Syria, that was to the north of Israel. Then they conquered most of Asia. That's no small feat, that's huge to conquer that. Then they came down, eventually they, they conquered Israel, and then they eventually conquered parts of North Africa, which included Egypt. They did a massive work to conquer all that. They marched through the breadth of the land. And not just through Israel, but through the then known world, all the way stretching over into Asia, up into the north, into Assyria. Huge job. And it says to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Because of the attitude problem, it's not as if they marched into these other nations and said, listen, let's negotiate. We are a bustling, growing economy. We got this great infrastructure we would like to expand. We've run out of room. Let's make a deal with you. Let's see if we can come. Let's negotiate. We can live in this part of the land because you're not using it. We'll live here and, and then you guys will live. And let's, let's work together. That is what happens in some places. That is part of colonizing. Now, I'm not justifying all the colonization that went on in the past. Don't get me wrong. This is not a history lesson on that because a lot of injustices happened with colonization. A lot of abuses happened. But that's not what the Chaldeans were doing. It's not as if they showed up and said, let's work with you. They showed up and said, um, give us your land. And when the other people said no, they said, okay, bow down, whack off with their head. I mean, it was, they were brutal. The things that they did, wow. You have to reverse engineer a couple of verses to see it. Because in the book of Psalms, you read about how God is going to repay the, the Babylonians for what they did. We'll talk about this later on in Habakkuk. But what happened to the Babylonians, it says the women with child were ripped up and the babies thrown, dashed against the stones. Why would that happen to them? Because that's what they were doing to these other nations. I'm serious. They had an attitude problem. There was something very wrong with those people. Now the question is, why would God choose these people? Why would God use this kind of a nation to come against his own people? Let's look at a few verses. Get Jeremiah chapter 25. And I think these are the kind of things that do not get discussed in churches much. It's much easier to just talk about the love of Jesus, you know, and, and, uh, and him dying on the cross. And believe me, we want to focus on that. We want that to be the centerpiece. But we cannot ignore these parts of the Bible. They help us make sense out of why God lets bad things happen and how God responds to it. And it really does trickle down to your own life. 
why, you know, how does God deal with me when I get out of line? Why would God let these horrible people start affecting my life? This might shed some light on it. Jeremiah 25 and verse 9. He says here, Behold, this is God speaking, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadrezzar. That's an alternate spelling for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, what's the next two words? God says, Nebuchadrezzar is my servant. Now, this does not mean that Nebuchadrezzar is an upright man walking you know, in the spirit. It's not that. It's not that. He's not the, he's not the apostle Paul. Nebuchadrezzar is serving God's purpose without even knowing it. He is fulfilling prophecies that were given to Moses back in Deuteronomy that if the people of Israel get out of line, I'm going to bring a, a people to destroy you. You won't understand their language and they'll come, come upon you quickly like an eagle just flying and shoom, pounce on you. This has been waiting almost a thousand years to take place. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, he'll fit the bill. He'll get the job done. He says, Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. An astonishment. A work that when somebody tells you, you won't believe it. You'll just go, that's astonishment. And hissing. Hissing. Verse 10, moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Why would God do this? Verse 8, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words. You didn't pay attention. I was trying to tell you and you didn't listen. So since you won't listen to the gentle approach, I'll come a little bit harder. Uh, take your Bible, come to Psalm chapter 17. Psalms chapter 17. As you're finding that, let me apologize for my extremely poor time management these last few weeks in Sunday school. I mean to stop at 15 past. I don't think I've done it yet. I think I always go over. I mean to stop on time. It just, once you get rolling, it's hard. I'm sorry. I will try to do better at that. I, I just want you to know that I am aware of it. Psalm 17, let's get verse 13. I'm tempted to read the whole chapter because it, it really does serve this purpose. But verse 13, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. Do you see that? David's praying, saying, God, save me from this wicked man, but I recognize that this wicked man can be used by you. The wicked man in God's hand can be used as a sword to bring punishment. Verse 14, he goes on with that, thought, from, uh, from, with that thought. From men which are thy hand. Look at that. These wicked men, David refers to them as the hand of God. They are in God's hand doing a, uh, fulfilling a purpose. From men of the world which have their portion in this life and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. God allows them to win the spoils of war. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. So they get wealthy, they die with that wealth and pass on the inheritance. 
David recognizes this is how it works with the wicked sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And then you can see the difference in verse 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. He's, he's looking forward to the resurrection, as we should be. But notice David's hope is that one day I'm going to see the Lord and I'll be like him when I do. The wicked don't have that. What's the best thing for a wicked man? He gets rich in this life, dies, and gives it to his kids. That's it. He gets to take nothing with him. He has nothing on the other side of this life at all. So you can see the contrast in the passage. I'm showing you these verses so that you can see we should recognize that even the wicked can be used by God. All God has to do is stand back and go, hey, wicked man, go ahead and do what you would do. It's not that God arbitrarily reaches down, grabs a hold of his heart, and says, okay, now you're wicked, now go do wicked things. That's not what's happening. All God has to do is back off and say, okay, that guy over there deserves what you would normally do. So since you're an, an angry, bitter jerk of a man, I'm not going to stop you from being a jerk to this person. Go ahead, because that guy deserves it. I've tried to be nice to him. I've tried gentle. I've tried meek. He's not getting it, so here comes the rod. Go for it. Sometimes God will do that. Um, take your Bible. Come to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, let's get verse number 4. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. The day that God has to punish somebody, there are times when God will employ the services of a wicked man or wicked man or wicked men to do that. Now, this, is, this verse does not indicate that God made that person wicked. It indicates how God can use that wicked man for the day of evil, for the day of destruction, when it is required and necessary. God brings about or uses their, their services there. All right, come to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. See, God will create a man knowing that that man will make bad choices and will eventually become wicked. So why would God let that go on? Because God says, well, even that man in his wicked state can serve a purpose. This goes, you see how deep this goes. This goes back to the question, if God knew people would make bad choices, why did he make people at all? If God, and it goes back even farther. If God knew that the devil would make the wrong choice and fall, why did God even create, the, create Satan to begin with? Right? If he knew it would all fall apart. Because God knew that in order for people to love, adore, and worship him, they have to have a choice. You have to have free will. You cannot have true worship, true love, without a choice. And anytime you introduce a legitimate free will choice, then you have to give room for the person to choose wrong. And if they're going to be able to choose wrong, then what do you do with that? So God, we can say that he's responsible for making evil in the sense that he created everything and then gave sentient beings the privilege of choosing. See, So yes, in that sense, God's, he's the maker of all. 
Now, all he did was make it possible for you to choose. You did the choosing. I did the choosing. Satan did the choosing. But then God can even take those choices and say, well, now that you've chosen that, I can even put that to use. And this is how all things are from God, through God, and to God. It all ends up with his glory. It all ends up, see, that's the master plan of it all, that even the wicked end up glorifying God. It's not the way God wanted the glory, right? That's certainly not plan A for glorifying God, but in the end, God's gonna say, even your, even your foolishness can be put to use. All right, 2 Kings 20. I wanna move on to a slightly different point now. In speaking about the Babylonians, or as we've seen in Habakkuk, the Chaldeans, God is going to bring them and allow them to destroy Judah, but about, let's see, about 110 years before that destruction took place, I want you to see the first time we have the kings of Judah, or this king, Hezekiah, interacting with Babylon. Hezekiah was very sick, and then he got healed. It was a miracle. Well, let's say God intervened. In verse 12, it says, At that time, Baradak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Wasn't that nice? It's the equivalent of visiting him in the hospital, you know, bringing a t teddy bear with a balloon and a chocolate bar or something. Say, man, how you doing? I heard you've been sick. Everything okay? You all right? Verse 13, that's very nice. Verse 13, Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices, the precious ointment, all the house of his armor. Is that smart to show them your, your armory? <laughs> hey, you opposing king that will probably kill me, let me show you what I have in my arsenal <laughs> so that you know exactly what I'm capable of. Hezekiah, you twit, this isn't smart. <laughs> All the houses of his armor and all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in thine house? Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. He's proud of it. He's like, I was a good host. <laughs> I was so nice, Hezekiah. Verse 16, and, and Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And when you go to Daniel chapter 1, you know what you find? A bunch of eunuchs in the palace. Daniel was one of them. Exactly. 110 years before it was there, he prophesied. Verse 19, Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. Wow. Really? You think that's good? Why did he think that's good? He says, And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be? Key phrase, In my days? He said, Well, at least it's not going to happen while I'm alive. Wow, Hezekiah, what about your kids? What about your kids? What about the future generations of Judah? Really, you're okay with that? The mistakes you're making today are going to affect the future generation. Now, isn't that applicable now? Don't we need to consider how our actions, not only as individuals, but as a nation, what kind of nation are we going to leave behind 
the next 50, 60, 70 years. The relationships, right, that one group has with another group, what is that setting things up for for the future? Is there any kind of future to look forward to? Now, this is Hezekiah. 110 years later, come to chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And for the rest of the next two chapters, all it is is Babylon destroying Judah, raising them to the ground, just just plop, cutting them down. 110 years. I want you to see here, Babylon started off being fr- very friendly. Do you see that? They came with balloons and candy and teddy bears and are you okay? Everything all right? We're here to help. No, you're not. Do you know that is exactly, I've been telling you guys this for years, that's how the Antichrist is going to do it. He comes in as a friend but turns out as a foe. He comes in and says, I'm going to set up world peace. I'm going to fix all the problems of the world. Let's all get along. He will, he will actually disarm the world, get them to lay down all their weapons. And it looks like peace. And they will cry, peace, peace when there is no peace it's a false peace he comes in looking real friendly looking like he's helping looking like he's going to offer the vaccine that will cure all the sickness so that we can travel the world yeah man here it comes (laughs) all right come come back to Habakkuk don't worry the antichrist is not named Fauci and the antichrist sure isn't Biden you got to be much smarter than that. <laughs> well, the, it says that, no, no, that's biblical. That's not ugly. That's Daniel chapter 8. It says that the Antichrist will understand dark sentences. That means he can, he can understand the hidden, deep meanings of things. Biden can barely put a sentence together, so I'm not worried about him. Anyway, all right, let's, this isn't about Biden. Verse 7, Habakkuk 1 and verse 7. They, continuing a description of the Chaldeans, they are terrible and dreadful you just can't stand to be near them their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves all right what does it mean their dignity their judgment proceeds of themselves uh how great are these people well all you got to do is ask them (laughs) you ever heard that kind of thing now this guy's a great guy if you want to know just ask him he'll tell you That's not a very nice comment. That's a very passive-aggressive way of saying he's a, pro- a proud jerk. Because what these people were doing, they would make their own rules and then win the game. Well, if you make the rules, of course you're going to win the game. You made the rules so that you would win the game. They set their own standard. They decide what good is. They decide what righteous is, what fair is. So throw out the idea of actual truth, actual objective truth. That doesn't matter. We'll tell you when something's right. We'll tell you when we are the the good and the righteous people, the upright. If you have any questions, just ask us. So it proceeds of themselves. I I heard some uh, uh, interview this week where somebody was saying, you know, it's offensive to say mailman. You shouldn't use the term like a post office. You know, don't say mailman. That's offensive because uh, not all mailmen are men. Some of them are women. So you should say mail carrier. And the interviewer, he was really sharp. He said, yeah, but when you say mail carrier, don't you hear in there the word mail? <laughs> 
And the interviewee was like, yeah, but that's not the same word. That's spelled different. And this interviewer was on top of it. He said, but it's a homonym because it's a word that sounds the same. And, and he said, what if that offends me that you use homonyms that suggest a man and not a woman? <laughs> when it becomes a mark of righteousness to say male carrier instead of male man, you are creating a standard that really shouldn't exist. You're making life more difficult than it needs to be. But that's kind of where society is at nowadays. Verse 8, their horses are also swifter than the leopards. Wow. Now, they were trained that way. The Babylonians trained them to be incredibly vicious and fast and so forth, and more fierce than the evening wolves. You can try now there are people in this room that know horses a thousand times better than me so I I don't want to speak out of turn but from what I have been told you can train a horse that and and I know this from history books you can train them so that when they go into battle the sounds of bombs going off and guns being shot horses horses won't even spook now an untrained horse a loud sound goes off and they're going to rear up but you can train a horse so that they can run into battle and not be afraid of anything and just run right through the enemy. Uh, their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far, far, notice that. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They taught their horses to fly. No, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm kidding. I, I, I couldn't help it, right? <laughs> but you ain't seen a donkey fly. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to slip that in. I could <laughs> I'm going to have to now. I've got to recover from that. Those kind of stupid jokes give me the giggles. <laughs> I can't get it. <laughs> That's great. Okay, let's see if I can recover from that. I, I don't know if I can. Let, let me read my notes for a moment. Maybe I will help give me a moment here. Yeah, take your Bible, come to Isaiah, hold this, hold this, get Isaiah 5, verse 18. Isaiah 5, verse 18. Now, you saw in, in, in that verse we read in Habakkuk, they, uh, their horsemen shall come from far. So the people of Judah might have thought, you know what, this punishment, you're saying that the Chaldeans are going to do it, but the last time they were here, they were friendly. They brought us gifts. And they're so far off that if they start to come, let's say they are angry, we're going to get wind of it. We're going to hear that they are marching over here. We're going to have plenty of time to prepare. And we will raise up the bulwarks and build the strongholds and put our army out, and we're going to be just fine. So this, this punishment that you're talking of, that the prophets were warning them, they said this is far away, both in time and in distance. So no problem. This isn't going to affect us now I want you to see the attitude of the people of Israel because they thought yeah you say it's going to be bad but ah, it's really not that bad look at their attitude Isaiah 5 verse 18 he says here woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope now just so that you know Isaiah preached in the days of Hezekiah right so we read that in 2nd Kings this is a hundred years before Nebuchadnezzar shows up Verse 19, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. 
The people of Israel said, Isaiah, you say we're going to be destroyed. You say that Babylon's going to come and destroy us. That's what he said in 2 Kings chapter 20. That's what you say? Oh, go ahead. Let God bring it. Bring it, God. Bring it. What did they say? Verse 19. Let him make speed. God said, oh, you wanted me to speed it up? Okay. I'll bring flying horses. <laughs> I will bring horses that run like leopards. I will let the Babylonians train their army to be faster and stronger than any army you've ever heard of because you wanted to talk trash with God. God says, okay. They said this 110 years before it happened. God said, that's what you want? All right. Let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it, exclamation mark. Go ahead, bring it, God. We're not afraid of all these threats, all these mean Bible-thumping preachers always talking about doom and gloom, hell, fire, and damnation. Go ahead, bring it, God, bring it. God says, okay, well, I, I will. Just give me a minute. You know, God counts time differently than us. Just give me a minute. I got I to gotta let my army get ready and then I'll bring my servant Nebuchadnezzar and you'll be sorry you asked for this. You don't want to trash talk God. Now look at the kind of people that are doing this. Verse 20. Let's read it and see if this sounds like 2021 right now present day world. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Boy, we're there. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight their judgment and dignity proceed of themselves. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. They just get drunk. They think, well, that's no big deal. We can handle it. Verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Corruption in the courts. Verse 24, therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust. He says, everything that's growing up and you know, all these plans you're making in the infrastructure, you think it's all going to come to something? It'll come to dust. Just whoosh, blow on it and it'll fade away. He says, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Doesn't that match what you saw earlier? Why, why is Nebuchadnezzar my servant? Because you didn't hear my words. That's why we want to put an emphasis on getting the Word of God into your hands and into your heart so that you take it seriously. So they say, come, let's see it. Hasten it. Speed it up. You know what's going to happen one day? Revelation chapter 6. Jesus is on his way back, and the Bible says the kings and captains of the people are going to run to the mountains and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that, that's coming. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They say, come, bring it. Let's see it, Lord. Lord says, all right, here I come. Sharp, uh, sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth. Okay, we don't want to see it, Lord. That's enough. That's enough. Put that away, God. Let's come back to Habakkuk chapter 1 again. Habakkuk 1. Good grief. I thought I'd do better with time today. I didn't. Verse 9. Verse 9. It says, they shall come all for violence. They have no intention of negotiating for peace at all. And, and this is true. This is exactly how it played out. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar got a hold of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was trying to sneak out by night. Even after Jeremiah told him, just give up, submit. 
This is going to happen. Zedekiah said, no, no, I can't do that. I'm afraid that the Jews will laugh at me if I, if I just give up. I'm afraid that my friends will mock me. So I'll try to sneak out. Well, he got caught. You can't get away from it. You might think it's far off and it's not going to affect me. It, it will. Try to sneak away. It, they, they caught him. And you know what they did to him? They brought his sons in front of him and murdered them with a sword while he was watching and then took two hot pokers and shoved him into his eyes. The last thing he saw was his boys dying and then put his eyes out and then took him into captivity and let him live with that for the rest of his life. Bitter and hasty. Bitter and hasty. He says, they shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind. They're coming quickly. They shall gather the captivity as the sand. So when they get to Judah, it's not as if there's hand-to-hand combat and they have to overcome one guy and take one prisoner away at a time. No, no. They come, have you ever seen a, somebody on the, on the beach gathering sand into a bucket? You just handful after handful after handful, you just throw it into the bucket. That's how the Babylonians did it. They just showed up and dozens and hundreds of people at a time took them into captivity because Judah stood no chance at all. He says in verse 10, and they shall scoff at the kings. There were multiple kings of Judah that tried to stop this. And the princes shall be a scorn unto them. So some of the Jews sent kings, princes, messengers to try to negotiate. Or some of them even to threaten to say, listen, we're going to fight back. We're going to win. You read about this in Jeremiah. We're going to overtake you. Just two years and we'll overcome. Nebuchadnezzar just laughed at it and said, aren't you cute? <laughs> Coming out talking about you're going to fight me. I got flying horses. You can't beat me. <laughs> verse 11, or verse 10 rather. They shall deride every stronghold. They'll laugh at it. To deride it, they'll laugh at it. Every stronghold. For they shall heap dust and take it. So the Jews were going to build a stronghold, like a little tower, a, a bit of a wall. Because usually in war, that's an advantage to get the high ground, fortify the walls so that people can't just climb up and get inside the, the, the city gates. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar said, here's my plan. I'll just push the dirt together. I'll heap up dust. And then I'll jump over whatever stronghold you build. He, I don't need anything special. I'll just push the dirt together and jump over whatever you're going to do. So your plans to escape the judgment of God are absolutely useless. You can do whatever you want to try to get around what God's going to do. You can't get around it. It is going to happen. Now, this is historical, sure, but it's also prophetical. Jesus is coming back. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say there's nothing you can do to get around it, to avoid it. You're going to have to deal with it. And the best way to deal with it is get on his side. Say, God, if that's the plan, I want to be a part of the righteous side of this. I want to be on your side. Verse 11, then shall his mind, sorry. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Now, verse 11 is a bit of an enigma. Many people have taken this part where it says his mind changed. They'll, they say that this is when Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. 
How many of you are familiar with that story in Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar gets lifted up and God knocks him down? And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He, he actually takes on the characteristics of an animal. He's just feeding out in the grass and that kind of thing. And then after seven years, his understanding returns again and he says, I should only be praising the God of heaven and so forth. He didn't convert, but he knew that God, the God of heaven, Jehovah, was a, a God to be reckoned with at that point. So many will say that's the fulfillment of this. His mind got changed. That's really not how this verse strikes me, though. Then shall his mind change. It doesn't say his mind shall be changed because that's what happened in Daniel 4. This is more of, it sounds like Nebuchadnezzar had one plan. But then when he marched in and he saw just how pathetic the Jewish resistance was, he said, you know what? I'm even better at this than I thought. I can conquer them so easily. I might be able to go a little further with my plans, with my destruction. I might be able to gobble up even more people than I thought. And then it, is in, it says his, his mind change, he shall pass over. He had one boundary, one line. He said, I'll go this far. But once he got there and realized how easy it was, I'm going to go a little farther. And it says, and offend. I'll show you in a moment what I think that is tied to. Imputing this is power unto his God. Nebuchadnezzar worshiped the God Bel, B-E-L. You'll find that several times in, in Scripture. But he was saying, I'm a great military general. I'm a great king. I've built this great Babylon. Now, all of this, his military exploits obviously puffed him up with pride I think it did eventually lead to Daniel 4 him getting this big head saying I'm so great and then God eventually did take away his mind so I, I think there is a connection but I think this is just Nebuchadnezzar realizing man I'm really good at this Bell must be helping me so much he must be blessing me so I'm just going to keep going as far as Bell allows me to go so take your Bible to the right just a little bit get Zechariah chapter 2 <clears throat> or Zechariah chapter 1 I'm sorry Zechariah 1 and verse 12 Zechariah 1 and verse 12 now Zechariah he is what we call a post-exilic prophet him and Haggai they were preaching buddies they, they were helping the Jews after the captivity so 70 years have gone by now okay from the time of Habakkuk so it says here in verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? That's seventy years. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Now, the next verse will tell you why God feels the way he does about this special city. I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So God said, I had a plan in mind to destroy Judah. They needed the punishment. And God says, I was a little displeased. What happens then when he gets really displeased? Good grief. We're going to talk about that actually in, in, the next, in the next hour. But he says, I was but a little displeased and they helped forward the affliction. So Nebuchadnezzar went beyond God's plan. 
Doesn't that read into Habakkuk 1 then where he says he passed over and offended. He went too far. He offended God. God said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're my servant. I'm going to use you to bring about this punishment. But then Nebuchadnezzar said, yeehaw, this is fun. And he went way too far with it. And God said, now I'm going to have to step in and do something about this. Verse 16, therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So even though God was angry and was ready to and did bring about the punishment they needed, deep down in God's heart, He did love His people, and He knew a punishment is part of dealing with a child. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. But even when God is scourging, punishing, chastening, doesn't mean he hates you. It means he's trying to fix you. And he still desires to have mercies, plural. He still desires to have that. All right, let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, thank you for the time this morning to look at these verses. And I do pray you'd help us to see how they fit into our lives Lord, even though we're looking at what happened in the past, we can certainly see how this fits the world today and us as individuals. Please bless the hour to come and our fellowship now to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.